A special edition of Over a Barrel. And Patrick DeHaan, are we going to see prices next year higher or lower than this year? Well, Matt, after a drum roll, we're expecting lower prices in 2024 than we saw this year. This is a program I can get behind. Over a Barrel starts right now. Welcome to the program on Over a Barrel. I'm Matt McLean. Patrick DeHaan is live in Chicago. At least I think you're in Chicago. You you kind of pop up just a little bit of everywhere across the globe. I never know exactly where you are. Are you in Chicago right now? Well, Matt, I've got to shop around and report all those gas prices to the Gas Buddy <laughs> app, right? I mean, uh, the gas prices have to come from somewhere. No, I think actually most of our, you and I both do that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I'm back in Chicago this morning after doing some holiday driving. I filled up for less than $3. Hopefully you have as well, I'm sure, being much cheaper down uh, there. I paid two fifty-five a gallon on Christmas Day. Two fifty-five. Uh, yes. Wow. And also two sixty-three because one tank wasn't enough. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm I'm jealous. Well, I mean, I was upset over the 263. That was the cheapest I could find, but nevertheless, uh, in the spot that I was in, um but I'll take both. They were they were quite happy uh pricing uh, in my eyes. I got a little twinkle in my eye like Santa after after I saw the price point. That's so. that's that's terrific. And by the way, uh something I don't see here much very often. It was a Christmas miracle. The station down the street from me in Chicago, as it turns out, temporarily lowered prices on Christmas, two ninety nine a gallon. Even here in Chicago, that was the same price basically across much of Michigan and Indiana as I drove uh, from Grand Rapids back to Chicago. So, uh, but uh, of course, all, all good things coming to an end. The next day, uh, Boxing Day, the twenty sixth, they had raised prices back up to three thirty nine a gallon. So, turns out it was a uh, you know one stop discount on Christmas Day if you happen to be out and about. But uh, you know what? Still better than paying $3.39 a gallon on Christmas. You know, yeah, that's just it. Uh, I have noticed uh, for the holidays, at least for me, and you keep telling me this never happens, but for whatever reason, the hmm. price always magically goes up on a holiday. And then the next day it it magically goes back down, at least in my neck of the woods. And, and you keep telling <laughs> me there's nothing abstract about that. It's just sort of what it is. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it, at least in this case, uh, you know, the wholesale price uh, was certainly low enough. Um, you know, that was re what's really frustrating about stations that that in this case, my station was playing uh, a little bit of a game with prices. And uh, I don't know if they wanted to pull more traffic in on Christmas, given the fact that they had workers there anyway. But I and by the way, back to that, I hope that people are cognizant of those C store workers that made their holidays possible this year. Um as it turns out, I didn't go inside of the C store to be able to thank those workers for helping me fill my tank. But um, I will say the pump I stopped at was a little broken, Matt. I was frustrated that um, one of the truck stops I stopped at, the loyalty program didn't work. What? So, yeah, it was, you know, broken pumps, the the scanners, the some of them have, have scanners now that can read UPCs. And I put in my, my rewards number for this particular brand and it, it just hasn't worked. And I've reached out to them and... Yeah, it's, it's frustrating when you get to the pump and you're promised a discount and, and you put all your information in and it just keeps kicking it back at you and putting you into a loop. So, but I still, um, you know, I still got gas for 275 a gallon. So all in all, still not a loss. And, and hopefully everyone else out there has been able to fill up on the cheap. But 
prices have inched up a little bit. Um, but hey, you know, getting into the year ahead, we, we've got some good news, though. Yes, let's go ahead and get into our special reports. Uh, I don't have any special music, unfortunately, for it, at least not handy. But let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about what you have released, which is very exciting. You do this every year. The annual report. Uh, it's actually more of a prediction as yeah. well as as well as uh, information about the previous and current uh, year, as well as previous years before that, uh, dating back to what, 2013 or 14. So yeah. you have a lot of stuff going on in this report. And I know that the news media is obviously abuzz with all of this and talking about it and probably will for several days because there's so much information in there. What are some of the things that you want to highlight before we really dive in and, and talk about some of the finite details? Mm -hmm. But what are some of the things you want to highlight out of that? Well, Matt, I think uh, first and foremost, let's highlight the fact that everyone listening to the podcast is basically getting an exclusive. Um, we're, we're basically talking about it before it's being released. So enjoy it. It'll it'll be in the media here in the days ahead and in the hours ahead. But for now, it, you know, uh, a way to thank all of our listeners to the podcast and getting access to this. But all in all, I think, Matt, for most Americans who look at, you know, 2024 and, and maybe a simple way, um, we'll tell you that, you know, things are, are looking a little bit better in 2024. It's not going to be quite the big drop, Matt, compared to what we saw between 2022 and 2023. The national average this year is closing out almost 50 cents lower than last year. There will be a drop in 2024. If you look at the average price uh, over the course of the year, we are expecting it to be lower. That's the good news. But there's a lot of details with the seasonality, the ups and the downs, right? And, and so... I want to make uh, clear that through this yearly national average, we smooth out all of those increases and decreases right now. We're paying less than what we expect for the yearly national average. And then in the summer, of course, we're probably going to be paying a little bit more than the average. But all in all, Matt, uh, the average household is going to be spending less on gasoline this year than they did in 2023. Or excuse me, I should say in 2024, they're going to be paying less on gasoline I have to remember, it's always like the, the week before New Year's, right, where you start right. using the next year as substitute. So most households would be spending less on gasoline in 2024 than we did in 2023. You know, I'm looking at your outlook accuracy. I love the fact that you are as transparent as you are. Uh, for most years, you've kind of almost hit the price point right on the button uh, the one spot that I've seen, which is totally understandable, is whenever we had the pandemic, uh, obviously you were not forecasting a, pa a pandemic. So Those were dumpster fire <laughs> forecasts, Matt. You know, I, it, 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 I still I get people saying, you. how dare you for not predicting the pandemic? Right? Uh, I, I don't hold you uh, responsible for I that. Understandable. That. I mean, that's not your fault. 2020 and 2021. But is it? Is it? But not really. I, I can't <laughs> blame you. for The pandemic did not come from gasoline or oil. It is not your fault. <laughs> but other than that, you've got a really good accuracy. I mean, to think about the idea, uh, plucking out those two years aside and, pump, and and looking at the rest of them, that you at sometimes were only off by a few pennies uh, per gallon as the average when you're looking at it at a year in advance. Because when you stop and think about it, you and I are re recording podcasts uh, every week and 
sometimes week to week, it's like, Patrick, I thought oh, you yeah. said prices were going to fall and they didn't. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you know, they went up a little bit and, and et cetera. So the fact that after a full 12 months, you're still coming back within just a few pennies uh, on most years of, of your prediction versus actual. Um, that's impressive to me. That shows a good, a good amount of experience. So my well, hat's off and, to you, sir. You know, and let's go to those ugly years, Matt, and, and explain what went wrong. Obviously, in 2020, our forecast came out on New Year's Day of 2020, January 1. Of, of course, nobody would have anticipated at that point that we'd be in a full-blown pandemic for most of, of, of 2020. So we predicted a yearly average in 2020 that was 260 a gallon and ended up being 217 a gallon. A lot of it because, you know, from March through the rest of the year, the economy was was drastically impacted by the pandemic shutting things down. So, you know, I, I think the bigger surprise was 2021. And that was also a difficult prediction, Matt, because when we made that forecast on January 5th of 2021, vaccines were not yet widely available. Um, in fact, I think the week prior as I was putting the forecast together, because I often go to Michigan for the holidays, the first vaccine was rolling off the uh, assembly line, so to speak, uh, at Perigo down in Battle Creek. I remember that that news story of the first semi-truck loaded with, with vaccines um, for COVID. And so 2021 was really difficult because we really didn't know the pace of vaccines, health. You know, we knew the early uh, efficacy numbers. We knew they were pretty effective, but we didn't know how quickly that would uh, unleash, right, mm -hmm. the reopening of the economy. So, 2021, we predicted a yearly, uh, yearly national average of 244 a gallon. It jumped up to 302 because it was very difficult to predict which, with how speed, uh, how much speed. The U.S. economy and then consumers would get back out there. So, yeah, you know, those are very difficult. But even to your point of how we jump on the podcast and, and you know, like the Fed, right? We recently talked about how the Federal Reserve all of a sudden was a needle mover because Jerome Powell had, had signaled that the Fed could start cutting interest rates. And that's a big wild card, right? Because, again... That is a, a critical detail moving forward on the pace of growth in the United States. Will we go back to a consumer that's very resilient and is ready to spend, or are we going to be cutting interest rates because of the you know a, a greater slowdown in the economy? So, you know, this year, it, it, you know, sometimes you, you do get really close, and and sometimes you're a little bit off the mark. And uh, again, I I think that this year I was real happy with given the amount of of geopolitical issues that came up, like, um, you know, constantly the Middle East, OPEC policy, that we were able to get within two pennies of, you know, predicting spot on. We predicted 2023 would feature a yearly national average of 349, and we're closing at basically 350 and 910. So we're really close, but past performance is not always indicative of future performance. So, uh, I'd be real happy, Matt, if we could nail this next year forecast. And 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 by the way, I suppose we can spill the beans on what we're expecting now for yes, 2024, please. right? Yes, let's let's get right into it. So you know, yearly national average gas buddy in our forecast this year is expecting a decline uh, of about 13 cents. We're going to go from about 351. We are expecting the yearly national average to drop to three thirty-eight a gallon, and we've been working on that number for a couple of weeks. Um, so three thirty-eight a gallon is a drop of a little over two percent. It's not a massive decline, Matt, 
but it's more of a return to, you know, close to norms. And by the way, something new that we did in our forecast, Matt, this year, in addition, if you haven't looked at the forecast, I would tell anyone to go to uh, the Gas Buddy website, go to gasbuddy.com backslash newsroom or check our social channels. We've, uh, we're in the process of, of posting that right now as we speak. So uh, check the social channels, the Over a Barrel podcast uh, show, um, over a barrel show that is on Twitter. We'll post the link to the forecast there, but check it out month by month. We go down the average that we expect for every month. That's the national average. We also, Matt, what's new this year is we we delved into predictions for each holiday so that people that want to make travel plans for Memorial Day will know what we're expecting and how much confidence we have in our forecast. Um, and we also predicted in addition to some of the largest metro areas, the, the worst it's going to get, we also predicted the yearly state average by state. So all 50 states, we give a range of what we expect the yearly national average to be. And again, that's a yearly national average. So Matt, the price will be higher some days in some of these states, and it will be lower than what we're expecting for the yearly national average. The, the state average forecast is really good if you want to budget for how much money you should set aside, right? Because over the year, it'll all average out. But all the numbers are there, Matt. Tons of numbers in this forecast, which, what, 23 pages basically of details on gas prices. So now my question to you, which is uh, part of uh, different aspects with regard to the report itself, um, this is a gasoline uh, forecast. What about diesel? Yeah, actually, um, a great question. This is a fuel outlook, and we do include diesel in there as well. In fact, uh, the yearly average we expect for diesel this year, $3.87 a gallon. And currently, the national average is already under $4 a gallon for diesel. We do expect, Matt, over the course of the winter, January, February, March, we do expect, and, and April, that the average price for diesel could go back over $4, especially if we get some cold weather. But the rest of the year, Matt, from May through the rest of 2024, May through December, we expect that the national average for diesel will be below the $4 a gallon mark. In fact, we expect that by the end of 2024, the average for diesel could be in the mid to upper $3 a gallon range. So uh, it's all there. Diesel forecast month by month, gasoline port forecast uh, month by month as well. So uh, again, check out the report. These reports, by the way, this forecast, Matt, is meant to be read by people that basically have little to no background on on oil markets, petroleum mm -hmm. markets, or economics. So we, we've really tried to make this simple because at the end of the day, this is for the gas buddy audience. This is, um, you know, so many uh, people have been reporting prices to us this year. This is a service that we provide so that um, we can return value to our, our users. You help us with gas prices and we try to help you figure out how dig you're going to have to uh, how deep you're going to have to dig for gas prices in 2024. So I mentioned this to you back in the summer. I'm going to chase after this rabbit for a good 30 second answer from you with, with, with regard to diesel, because it's generally meant for the consumer itself, the gas buddy audience. 
very quickly, talk to me about why diesel is so much more expensive than gasoline. Because as you recall, I, I kind of set it up in the summer for you to answer the way that you did, because I said, isn't diesel just a derivative or, you know, a byproduct of producing gasoline? Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I know I'm <laughs> asking on purpose. I want you to answer. So tell us very quickly why diesel is so much more expensive these days than gasoline. Yeah. Well, Matt, there's really two reasons for diesel being so much more than gasoline right now. Um, the two conditions are really the Russia war in Ukraine, right? Russia produces a lot of heavy oil and heavy oil produces more heavy product like diesel. The U.S., on the other hand, produces a lot of lighter crude oil, which produces a lot of product like gasoline, which is lighter. So the Russian war in Ukraine is basically restricting Russia from being able to sell a lot of that heavy oil to, to satisfy the market needs. So diesel and heavier products are generally more expensive because of the Russian war Ukraine than they would be if there was no war. Secondly, it's because that over the last decade, the regulations, the rules and requirements for diesel um, have been producing a lot of, of improvements in terms of emissions. Diesel is far cleaner now than it was you know, 15 years ago. Um, back in 2006, the standard changed that diesel must have less than 10 parts per million of sulfur. All that desulfurization, Matt, is incredibly costly. There's a finite amount of capacity. So it's really because diesel is much cleaner now, and it's because Russia's war in Ukraine. If I was to add a third thing as well, because diesel's more the, uh, the fuel of commerce, right? Semis all over the place. The price of diesel also can be dependent on the economy. And as I mentioned just a, a couple of minutes ago, weather, right? If it's going to be a cold winter, that means more heating oil consumption. Heating oil and diesel are basically the same thing. So those are the two wild cards that can also impact the price of diesel. That's why diesel prices are generally more expensive in the uh, in the summer, excuse me, in the winter. Diesel is more expensive. Summer. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, so that's that leads me into my next question, which is, Let's go ahead and look at the United States and kind of break it down just a little bit. Are there areas or regions of the country that you are concerned when it comes to potential outages or even even oh geopolitical disruptions? Let's talk about that for just a moment. What are you looking at in that crystal ball? Is it all snow? <laughs> What, what, what I mean, do we have? you know, if you're out on the West Coast, you'll want to buckle up um, because uh, just like last year, when prices in most of California hit that six dollar gallon mark, there's still that potential, Matt, because California, I mean, though I'm hopeful it won't go as high. The problems that led to the spike in California and some areas of the West Coast and, and Arizona, by the way, some of the some of the market deficiencies still exist. California is still a market that doesn't have enough refining capacity to to be able to supply itself with all the gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel that it needs. So if there are, you know, refinery issues, especially Matt, if there's more than a couple of refinery issues at once, that drastically changes what happens in California. In fact, we're actually in the middle of this right now. California had a couple unexpected refinery outages last week. And Matt, the whole uh, the, the retail price of California gasoline is now up seven cents from a week ago. So refinery issues out west. Uh, pipeline constraints in Arizona um, are the things that would keep me up at night with this forecast. Um, mm -hmm. On the other side of things, um, if you're in the Gulf states, it's uh, it's good news. Um, you know, gas prices, gasoline taxes tend to be lowest in those areas. Um, and I think you mentioned geopolitical uh, um, 
you know, the yeah, wild card. I'm looking at basically page 17. If it, it, you know your your outlook commentary there, where the East Coast is remaining highly susceptible to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, if you look at that slide 17, they're looking over. I mean, how many times, Matt, do we talk about gas prices? You can't can't really talk about gas prices without mentioning refineries, right? Refineries are, are the critical. <laughs> well, that's how device. oil becomes gasoline. So exactly. Yes. Yeah, without refineries, there's no gasoline. So it's really critical that we look at the climate of refineries. And yeah, if you look at that page 17, that map of the United States, there's a couple things that, you know, alarm bells should be going off. You, you look at the East Coast, map. look at all those states from Florida all the way up to Maine. Uh, you look at how much refining capacity there is in those states. Now compare that to the far fewer amount of states, Matt, in the Rockies, five states in the Rockies, mm -hmm. which are far less populated. populated. Yeah, you were reading my mind. I'm like, you know, you've got Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. I mean, combined, all three. All Utah three. and Colorado. Yeah, all yeah. five of these states have 700,000 barrels a day of refining capacity. And then you compare that, Matt, to the eastern, you know, the east coast, basically. Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maine. We have what? My goodness, probably 10 times the population on the East Coast, but there's only 900,000 barrels a day of refining capacity. So the East Coast is much more reliant on the global marketplace. Now, Florida has usually the lower part of that map. The usually the lower part of this, what what the East Coast is, which is pad one, it's a region of the country. Mm -hmm. Areas like Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas are supplied via massive pipelines, right? The Colonial Pipeline that connects from Texas. Major refineries feed that pipeline. So normally the bottom part of the East Coast is usually okay because there's such a, a large straw, we'll call it, that mm -hmm. feeds... Uh, what they what they sip that gasoline, but usually it's the upper New England area, areas like um, Pennsylvania, New York. That pipeline that connects Gulf, the Gulf Coast ends in Linden, New Jersey, and so normally the southern half of the East Coast does pretty well with that massive pipeline. But right. that means that the Northeast is reliant on refining capacity in Canada and overseas. So. That could mean that the Northeast, we saw that in 2022 at the height of Russia's war in Ukraine, that the Northeast prices shot way above the national average because they are more subject to international prices because they don't have enough refining capacity. So then my question, so my question, I have two, I have, uh, so you are saying that we are importing gasoline into portions of the country, especially the Northeast. Yes. Yes, we do import some okay. gasoline into there. Primarily, though, heavier stuff like diesel and heating oil are the Imported. two. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then my next question is, if the U.S. is uh, producing so much oil, in fact, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't we, in 2023, didn't we basically get more oil out of the ground than, than just than ever before? Or yeah. is that, okay, so... Yeah. If we are producing that much oil from a consumer perspective, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask this from the perspective of somebody who's just, you know, normally uh, putting their card in at the pump and trying to figure out what's going on in the world. Why doesn't it make more sense to just build extra refining capacity, especially in the East Coast, where the, there's such a large population and they have the ability to produce yeah. so little fuel? 
Well, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of oil production happening there, so you'd need a major oil pipeline that could feed those refineries with oil. So that's that's the first reason why there aren't a whole lot of refineries there is the oil has to get there, and that's 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 a kink. Um, number two, there was a the loss of a major refinery, about three hundred thirty five thousand barrels a day. Uh, refinery caught fire in Pennsylvania. So with that loss in twenty nineteen, we lost about a quarter of capacity there. The problem is getting oil into that market, Matt. There's there's a lot of problems with why refineries wouldn't want to build in that area. First of all, they need a source, a reliable source of crude oil, mm-hmm. which is is more difficult in areas of the Northeast. Second thing is they there's no existing refineries outside of this area you don't just go and build a new oil refinery right now because the transition to evs and because the political climate right there's a lot of people that don't want a refinery in their backyard so the difficulty is that a refinery would probably need you know a decade between uh between conception and completion so you know and in that decade You've talked about a lot of states. I think New Jersey and New York are both states that are going to be banning the use of internal combustion engine vehicles after 2035. So already you have a shelf life on gasoline, right? They want to get rid of cars that need it. So why would an oil company build a refinery there? How could they supply it reliably? There's just a whole lot of issues with why refineries are probably not going to be built in that area of the woods. Um, You know, political um, not in my backyard approach. Nobody really wants one. So that's the difficulty. And oil companies don't want to build something that's not going to have a good return on investment. And in that area with the transition to EVs, with a less than reliable supply of oil or, or you know, an international supply of oil, those are not the ingredients you'd want to build a refinery or to expand one. You could see expansions, but probably not. So from a consumer perspective, the reason why we're seeing so much capacity in the Midwest and the Gulf Coast is because that's where the oil is coming out Access of the Access to oil. Yep. Yes. Big pipelines. And in the Gulf Coast, of course, you can bring it in, you know, from, from international destinations. You right. can have that in the East Coast. But again, there, there's a lot of ingredients why, you know, Texas is an area where not only they produce a lot of oil, but they import a lot of oil. Louisiana offshore oil port is the biggest port that crude oil comes into the United States. So generally speaking, that's why a lot of the nation's refineries are in those two states. Not only is the Osher oil port in Louisiana, so they, it makes sense to have refineries right there, but also Texas is, is one of the, the, you know, the biggest state when it comes to oil production. So put, put a lot of them there. So the bigger, the bigger aspect that I have to ask with regard to all of this, and you're talking about refineries in different states, you know, banning this, that, and whatnot, uh, transitioning to EV, that's all well and good, and, and, and that's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to sit there and say some of this has to be pie in the sky because you still have to have jet fuel. You still have to have other aspects because there is absolutely no way under any sun that I am looking at in any state of reality that you're going to magically uh, pull all of the uh, jets out of the sky and say, well, you know, from this point, you've got to have uh, electric jets. That's not, it's not even uh, on the radar for 10 or 15 years from now, let alone 20 or 30. Plus you have some states where it doesn't really matter if anybody likes what I'm about to say or not. It's just reality. And and that's what you have to base things off of. Some states are just not conducive to EV EV vehicles as, as, as they are right now. You can increase the range to 500, 600 miles. That may be a different story, but right now that is not, um, it, it is not something that is a physical reality. 
things like yeah. uh, Montana, for example, or uh, the Plains states, Midwest rural areas where you have to drive and drive and drive and drive just to get to your neighborhood grocery store. Uh, you have to drive an hour each way just to go get your weekly amount, uh, an allotment of groceries. Uh, Alaska, for example, there are so many examples. Right. Now, if you're on the island of Maui, fine. <laughs> you can probably get away with an EV even today on the <laughs> mileage because you have a limited amount of miles you can drive in a daily basis. But the reality is in a lot of uh, areas of the state, I'm sorry, of the country, it is not feasible to sit there. And it's not based on a state, a state of reality that you're going to be able to get away with uh, an electric vehicle in its current capacity. So, yeah. I mean, yes, I can, I can understand that if you want to create that, you know, that transition, but I would argue, and I'm, I'm a nobody and I understand that, but from a mm -hmm. consumer perspective, I would argue that even New Jersey and, and these other ones saying by 2035, there's probably going to have to be some tweaking to that as it gets oh, a little bit sure. closer. I, I mean, they can sit there and put and, and, and throw the dart uh, up against the wall all they want to. I, I think reality based, uh, you're going to have a situation where um, it's just not, it's not available. And it's like, well, what if they change the uh, you know, the way that the EVs are made, that's great, but you're not going to be able to rebuild the power grid to be able to facilitate that kind of growth in electricity usage in rural areas that quickly either. You yeah. have, you have to work because if the electric grid is going to take the place of the refinery, then the electric grids are all going to have to be dramatically expanded in their capacity as well. And oh, by the way, they're being told to go into more of a environmentally friendly. Again, I have no issues with any of that. I think cleaner air is a great thing, but you have to build the capacity in there. And, and if you don't have the capacity there, especially in rural areas, yep. that's, that's, not, that's not reality anymore. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly right. And, and Matt, speaking about the EV transition, um, you know, we have a couple slides in here that are rather interesting as well that talk about the risk to the, uh, the transition to EVs. I mean, obviously, we have a major presidential election coming up in 2024, and uh, policy could shift in a, a major way. Uh, that could cause consumers to slow the pace of trading in their internal combustion engine vehicle. Uh, tax credits have been, you know, uh, all all over the place when it comes to EVs. So, if the pace of tax credit slows, if if the infrastructure doesn't keep up, I mean, you're you're talking about a point in time here as we close out 2023. There are a lot of EVs sitting on lots of car dealerships that haven't been sold, and very quickly now too, investors are starting to slow down. You know what they're investing in because there's there's so much money floating around but uh consumers are not necessarily reacting to buying an ev now especially with gas prices mad uh, predicted by us to be more affordable in in 2024 so you know why would people go out there and spend you know 50 boy i don't even know what the cheapest ev is anymore but i'm going to guess somewhere between 35 to 50 you know you still have a huge investment to make and keep in mind, if battery technology changes, that's that's really going to drastically change things. So I, I think uh, really interesting is is a couple of slides we added the EV transition outlook yeah, to our 20. fuel outlook. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and you know, look at the rise of electric vehicles. But again, there's a big risk in the the pace shifting and slowing down, depending on the outcome of the presidential elections. But getting back to gas prices, since that's our bread and butter. Um, you know, again, to underscore the fact that we're expecting gas prices to be a little bit tamer this year. Um, and I would encourage folks to look in our, our forecast on page 10. Um, depending on which of the nation's 50 states you're in, you're going to be paying either quite a bit more California. You're going to be paying an average of well over $4 a gallon for this year. 
or or you can be in a state uh, like Texas, where you might on average spend between 288 and 318 for a yearly average this year. So there, Matt, we have to obviously, you know, talk about the elephant in the room, how gasoline taxes vary yes. coast to coast. And, and by the way, some good news if you're in Pennsylvania, because of the decline in wholesale gas prices, Pennsylvania motorists are going to be seeing their gas tax decrease with really the drop of the ball by four cents a gallon. So good news for Pennsylvania motorists is that you're going to be spending a little bit less, not only from our prediction of lower prices in 2024, but you're going to be getting a little bit of a break when it comes to gasoline taxes. And that applies to diesel as well. That's interesting. And if I uh, am looking at this correctly with regard to all of that, I'm looking at page, I guess it's 15 now. And I don't know how I just created a dual screen on my PDF, but somehow I only have half a screen to be able to just suddenly look at it there. I'll re-undo that here in just a moment. But uh, inflation, let's uh, very quickly, 2023 has seen inflation start to slow uh, as well. So can you talk to us about that? Obviously, the Federal Reserve is even signaling um, the, the concept of possibly lowering interest rates next year. What kind of an impact is that going to have uh, in your thought process with regard to gas prices as well? Because it seems to be kind of linked together. The higher that you make inflation and or uh, interest rates and other aspects, sometimes that has a little bit of an impact on gas prices. Yeah, it really does. And it really depends, Matt, on the kind of the, the broader economic data. If the Fed starts cutting interest rates, it's likely because they've achieved a lot of their you know goals when it comes to slowing down inflation. And it could even even mean that there's a slowdown in the economy, a, sl- a broad enough slowdown in uh, consumption um, that uh, that you know prices are, are modestly expected to decline. That's a wild card, though, because if the Fed cuts too much, right, that th- there's a lot in their potential. If they cut interest rates too quickly, that could start to get the economy growing too rapidly. So it's going to be a delicate. Uh, it's got to be a delicate approach, but that has the potential of increasing demand slightly in the year ahead. And by the way, Matt, um, you, you know, worth mentioning, uh, for our forecast here, we do expect that gasoline demand will rebound slightly in 2024. We're expecting about a 2% increase in gasoline demand um, compared to 2023. Just to line that up, by the way, as we stand here closing out 2023, um, the Energy Information Administration has shown that implied, implied, which is basically uh, implied demand, which is kind of like a proxy for retail demand for gasoline is up 1.4% compared to last year. So we're expecting a little bit more of a modest increase this year. And part of the reason that we expect a more, uh, more of an increase in gasoline demand is because we do expect the Fed to start cutting interest rates. And we also expect gasoline prices to be more affordable in 2024. So we expect a modest increase in demand. So some of that to your, to your question about how, you know, interest rates, uh, the fed potentially cutting them impacts gas prices. We expect demand will be higher in 2024 for gasoline. And, and part of that, um, because of the fed and, and we don't expect higher prices necessarily, but if the fed does cut more aggressively, um, there is some upside risk. But it really depends on a lot of the other economic data that that we're looking at. 
So we have an election year for the president uh, in 2024, and you always have politicians talking about uh, in their campaigns and other aspects, whether it be wanting to go more green or wanting to provide better gas prices. You always have uh, politicians um, weighing in on gas prices and trying to make them more affordable or trying to transition whichever political party you're leaning. I'm not trying to take a side one way or the other. How much impact do you think that the presidential election and or even a change in administration would potentially have oh. on these prices? Yeah, I mean, it could be big, man. Uh, I mean, if you talk from going from President Biden, who has been openly critical of the oil industry, then then flipping back to asking them to produce more. I mean, <laughs> it's been kind of an interesting dynamic. But if you go to a, a Republican um, who, you know, have a track record of, of being more friendly to the oil industry, uh, more conducive to allowing federal land to be used for drilling, um, that could have a drastic impact on energy prices going forward. It could mean higher oil production. In the years ahead, it won't have an immediate impact, Matt. Keep in mind, we, ha- we we said that President Biden's policies won't have an immediate impact. But if there's a Republican, their policies probably won't have an immediate impact as well. It just depends on, on the manner of how they go things. If there are incentives, that could accelerate the impact of a potential policy sh- shift. But it's not going to be overnight. Uh, but a, a change in administration could greatly alter gas prices going into 2025. So... You know, as as we as we look to this election year, there's a lot that could shift from EVs to policies regarding oil production um, and other sorts of things. So that that's going to be a major thing to watch, Matt, for later this year. Definitely uh, something to keep a very watchful eye on. I'm just curious because a lot of those things, you know, over the course of four years in the big scheme of things, it's kind of a drop in the bucket for the existence of our country. But four years, a lot can change depending upon the administration that is 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 oh, yeah. you know at the helm, so to speak. Yeah. Um. And so that's that's certainly something to 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 keep an eye on. Uh, this time next year, we may be talking about something you know very different with regard to a lot of things for your 2025 forecast. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, on that, there's so a lot of different ways that the ship can be steered over the course of four years to end up in a completely different place. But it yeah. takes a long time to get there. Do you ever get nervous to uh, put out a, uh, an annual forecast like this? Do you ever oh, get yeah. like a little, like a little, little jitter kind of going, yeah. man, this, this could, you know, I mean, you know, what? you want it to be right, right? It's, <laughs> right. You know, you want it's only it to be your accurate. reputation. You yeah, know, <laughs> no, no big deal. Yeah, no. no big I deal. mean, there are certainly some things that you know I, I hold my breath for the first month. Um, and, you know, you just realize that I think everything we've covered here, Matt, you know, it's, it's hard to predict everything. There certainly could be something that that flares up. Um, you know, we've we've covered the the potential downfalls, you know, the, the wild cards, as I mentioned, you know, 2023 saw some pipeline issues in Arizona. There were some refinery issues in California. There were refinery issues in the Corn Belt late this summer. So nobody, nobody knows how these these works can um, these events can, you know, translate to uh, differences at the pump. So, you know, with with this forecast, if people really uh, read through this carefully, you'll know very quickly the risks. But yeah, I mean, certainly once once it's published, Matt, it's out there. So I do get a little nervous about that. So then my question for you, and as a kind of a, I know that we'll probably need to be wrapping this up eventually here on this particular special edition, but is there an asterisk that you would place on this forecast of, thing, of something that you are most nervous about that could potentially impact what your forecast is? Boy, you know, Matt, there's a lot. I think the one thing that comes to the top of my mind at first is if, um, you know, I, I, and not necessarily a risk for better or worse, but 
Um, you know, there's been a lot said in recent weeks, OPEC policy. Uh, there could be some shifts there and OPEC's still a, a major player when it comes to global oil production. So, um, you know, that and geopolitical uh, shifts, I think, would be the things that geopolitical shifts are, are what maybe keep me up at night in regards to this forecast being accurate. And OPEC always keeps me on my toes. Well, that is certainly um, something to keep in mind uh, as we go into the year 2024, for sure. Um, anything else out there that you feel is very important out of this uh, particular 2024 or 2024 forecast um, that you want to really highlight before we wrap things up? Boy, Matt, you know what? Uh, after we said it all, I appreciate everyone who looks at this and uh, all of our followers again as we wrap up uh, 2023. I'm real hopeful that the forecast will nail it on the head. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it's way off, Matt. I'd rather have gas prices, to your point, be $1.99 throughout the year. So uh, let's just hope it, it, it's, you know, we don't see another pandemic as the reason for me being so low. But uh, I would love to see lower prices than we expect. But, you know, for now, um, we'll take another year of gas prices being lower than last year, right? Oh, uh, I, I'm i still pushing for that $1.99 a gallon. Uh, I, I've, I've, given <laughs> up, I've given up on the 99 cents, but I will take $1.99. Because <laughs> I'm just right. that way. I'm just music that way. Music to our ears. Right. And speaking of music, I think we're about to wrap up for this particular edition of Over a Barrel. Patrick, what uh, what are the contact information that, that folks can really kind of get some questions in for us? Yeah, Matt, uh, check out our Over a Barrel Show handle on Twitter or Over a Barrel Show on Facebook as well. And you can, of course, email us to podcast at gasbuddy.com or ping me or Matt. I'm Gas Buddy Guy on Twitter and he's Over a Barrel Matt. We'd love to hear from you, especially on this forecast and into the new year. I'm always over a barrel. Isn't that crazy? That uh, is. Sometimes it's not gasoline, though. Anyway, all right, that's going to wrap up everything. Thanks so much for joining us here in Over a Barrel. And on uh, behalf of Patrick and myself, Happy New Year 